Hey everyone, Pastor Alex here. I just want to take a moment and welcome you to the Sunswept Baptist Church podcast. Our vision at Sunswept Baptist Church is to be a church where everybody is somebody and Christ is all. If you're interested in visiting our church or getting more information, visit sunswepbaptist.org. Well, go ahead and take a seat and turn to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. If you're new with us, we just started a new study through the book of 1 John, and I've titled it Life, a study of 1 John, and the reason for that is because a huge point in the book of 1 John is so that we can know what life is in Jesus. You see, Jesus didn't come just to save you for eternity. He didn't come just so you could go to heaven. He came to literally give you life. And to give you life abundantly. Now we know that doesn't mean you're going to get a Ferrari. That doesn't mean that you're going to have the biggest house. But what it means is because of the work of Jesus, we have true peace and we have true joy. And so we started last week just by talking about how is Jesus the word of life? What does it mean that he is the word of life? And, And what it means is that he was the promised one from ages ago, who was promised to come and reconcile us to the Father. And he's life because he's the one who gives us life. Um, Life, of course, with creation as we see in places like Colossians and in John chapter 1, but also life eternally because of what he accomplished on the cross on our behalf. Well, I'm going to start out with a statement this morning. I'm blind. And I don't mean in the literal sense, like I can't see anything, but I mean in the sense that I am a male and I can never find anything on my own. Now, if you're lost, let me just give you a story or a scenario. We're sitting down eating dinner at our house and Bria says, you know, hey, Alex, can you go get the ketchup out of the fridge? So I, you know, go to the fridge and I'm looking in the fridge and moving stuff around and no ketchup. I don't. We don't have any ketchup. So I'll walk back out into the dining room. I say, hey, babe, you know, I'm sorry, but I don't think we have any ketchup. She says, no, we have ketchup. And you keep in mind, I've already looked at this point. I've moved stuff around. I don't see any ketchup. So Bria walks back to the fridge, and guess what she finds in like half a second? The ketchup. Now, does any other man have this problem? It's like I just, I cannot find anything. And it takes my wife about 0.2 seconds to find the things I've been looking for, whether it's my keys or my wallet or the ketchup or something for Lottie. I just, I I guess I am blind. Well, there's a lot of similarities there to our spiritual condition for everybody, man or woman. You see, without Christ, apart from Christ, we're spiritually blind. When I'm looking in the fridge for ketchup, I might be distracted by eggs or milk or you know, something else, cheese, that's in the fridge. But in life, we're distracted and pulled away from what we should be seeing and how we should be living by things like the worries in our life, the anxieties in our life, the temptations to be lured away into sin or lured away into the ways of the world. And what I want to communicate to you this morning is that you weren't designed to live that way. You weren't designed to live blind. You were designed to live as someone who's walking in the light and walking with God the Father. You weren't designed for the anxieties of this world. You weren't designed for the temptation of this world. All of that is a byproduct of the sin that was brought here by our rebellion. You were designed to walk in the light. You were designed to walk in life. You were designed to walk in communion and relationship with God. You were designed to walk in God's love. In love to God and in love 
to other people. But we're blind. We're so blind. We're blinded by our sin. We're blinded by people making us mad. We're blinded by the distractions of this world. And what salvation does is it lets you see. To see what is it God's calling you to do. To see how do we live in the light. So I told you last week, a huge thing of 1 John is he's asking this question, are you really saved? Are, do you actually know the love of God? Not do you know about him intellectually, but has he actually changed your heart? And this is one of the first, I guess, tests or questions that he asks us. And that is, if you're walking in the light, you will then also walk in love. And that's the main point this morning, that walking in the light leads to us walking in love. So let's look at 1 John, starting in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps my word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am, not, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has what? Blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray together. Father, I pray over our time in your word this morning. As Jesus prayed in John 17, God, I pray you would sanctify us by your word because your word is truth. In a world that says there is no truth, in a world that says we can do whatever we want or do what is right in our own eyes, Father, I pray that we would humbly submit ourselves to you and recognize that we need to walk in obedience to you. And that if we're going to say we're followers of Jesus, if we're going to say we walk in the light, it's going to be reflected in how we live our lives. So God, break us this morning of any sin, of any disobedience to you, and let us leave different than when we came in here today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, I've just got two points this morning. The first thing we need to understand is that true light, light begins with Jesus. 
light begins with Jesus. Look here at verse 1. He says, my little children. Also, don't you just love how John writes? It's so encouraging. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The command is clear. We were not designed for or created for sin. John is lovingly reminding these Christians, you have been saved from the darkness. You've been saved from sin. Do not go back to it. Don't go back to it. Some people love to use uh, grace as a get-out-of-jail-free card. You ever play Monopoly and use the get-out-of-jail-free card? You know what I'm talking about. They say, well, I've got grace, so it's okay. I'll just go do this thing. I'll go do this sin or succumb to this temptation. But Paul says, um, should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. How have those who have died to sin continue to live in it? How is that possible? Because you've been saved from sin. You've been saved from the darkness that we were all living in, that we were all enslaved to. So John says, I'm writing these things to you about life, about walking in the light for the purpose of you not sinning. Because you know what will kill your joy, your peace, your fulfillment faster than anything else? Walking in sin. Walking in the darkness instead of the light. Do you feel far from God? Are you sinning? Are you living in an unrepentant, habitual sin? If you want to experience a relationship with God, communion with Him, the benefits of walking in the light, where are you with your sin? You weren't created for it. You were created to walk with the light, to be in relationship with God. But the reality is we all sin, don't we? Are you perfect? I know, I know I'm not perfect. So he says, don't sin here. But what do we do? We sin. We sin. So look at, he gives some consolation here for us in the next line. But if anyone does sin, which I think would be all of us, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The reality is that we all sin. We all have things in our life that, that tempt us and we've succumbed to them. But the good news of the gospel is that we have an advocate in Jesus. Just as we sang earlier, we have a mediator who has gone to God the Father on our behalf and mediated for us, Christ the righteous one. But not only is he our mediator, he's also our propitiation, our payment for our sin. I love this word propitiation because what it means, it's got a whole lot of meaning around it. It's saying Jesus was the payment for our sin. He was the appeasement of the wrath of God. So think of it kind of like this. If you're standing on train tracks, you've put yourself there willingly. You're stuck on the train tracks and there's a train barreling towards you and there's nothing you can do to get out of the way. There's nothing. That's God's wrath for you. You have put yourself there. You have sinned. I have sinned. And as Scripture says, the uh, consequences of sin is death. Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed once for man to die and then comes judgment. Wrath is coming for all of us. But Jesus steps in the gap in between the wrath of God and you and pays your penalty on your behalf. That's what propitiation is. You see, we say all the time, in response to the Catholic Church in the 1500s, we started saying this phrase all the time, salvation is a free gift of God. Have you heard that before? I believe that. It's free for you. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough to earn it or to pay it back. It's free to you, but it still costs something because God is a just God. And you and I have sinned against him. He can't just turn away. He's still got justice here. It would be against his character to allow our sin to go unpunished. 
So what happened? Jesus went and was the propitiation for our sin. The payment, the appeasement of God's wrath to put it aside, to satisfy it for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, flip over there really quickly. Second Corinthians 5:21 says this, "For our sake, he made him to be no sin, who, or he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's this idea we've talked about many times of the great exchange, that Jesus took on your sinful nature on the cross, meaning the payment for your sinful nature. And in return, he bestowed upon you his righteousness, so that when God sees you, he doesn't see a sinner, He sees someone who is righteous. So we can say true light starts with Jesus because you and me in our own nature are blind. We're in the darkness. We are enslaved by our sins. Scripture says in Ephesians 2 that all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins. All of us. And that by nature we're children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So true light, true salvation doesn't start anywhere other than in Jesus. It starts with Jesus. But then John, I think, kind of presents for us, because of this, kind of a rhythm of the Christian life that we need to look at. Flip back over to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Just real quick, let's talk about that briefly. Um, That's not saying that now every single person is going to heaven because Jesus paid for every single person's sin. What he's saying is Jesus' blood is powerful enough to save anyone who comes to him, right? If you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. That's what it's saying. If it was universally applied in the same way that it is to you and I, then every single person will be saved immediately. But he's saying it's powerful enough for anyone who comes to the Lord, for anyone, regardless of nationality, regardless of background, to be saved. But let's keep going. He is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that if we have come to know him, uh, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is perfected. And by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We're called to walk in the same way that Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? Compassion, love, teaching the truth in grace or with grace and kindness, caring for other people, a a sacrificial love and care for others. Do you walk that way all the time? I know, I know I don't. So what do we do, right? Well, we abide in him. We remain in him. We dig deeper in his word. We, we repent of our sins. You see, there's this rhythm that I think all of us need to recognize in our life, that you're going to be tempted at times. You might be tempted right now. There might be a big temptation in your life, and at times you're going to succumb to that because you're an imperfect person. This is not a free pass to succumb to it. Don't get mixed up here. But I'm saying it's just the reality. You're going to sin. I'm going to sin. We've all sinned. But the rhythm of our life that we're called to do is to take that sin to the Father. And like we read in 1 John 1, 9 last week, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we take it to him, confess it, and repent of it. And then what happens? He sanctifies us. 
He grows us. He molds us more into his image. He chips away the old man a little bit more and draws us in closer to himself. Look here at verse, where is it? Verse 5. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. There's a lot here with this word, perfected. Um, when we, Greek is so awesome because when, in Greek, one word is really like three or four words in this scenario. And so when it says perfected here, what this means is this, an, this is an action that was completed at one time, totally completed and done, that has an ongoing effect for the rest of eternity. So, for example, your salvation, that was a one-time moment, right? When you repented of your sins and placed faith in Jesus, that was a one-time moment, an action that was completed then, but now has an ongoing effect for the rest of your life. Another action that is not that way is taking out the trash. If I take out the trash when I get home, that action is done, completed, but it really doesn't have any ongoing effect for the rest of my life. When John says here that his love is being perfected or is perfected in us, he's saying God's love was perfectly completed on the cross and now has an ongoing effect in your life to where you will change and grow because of his love. Because of God's love, you will be a different person than you were when you got saved. Because of God's love, you're going to be a different person than you were yesterday because he's growing you and sanctifying you. And as you repent of your sin, as you come to him and abide in him and dig deeper in his word and engage in biblical community, the result of that is his love is going to be seen more clearly through how you live. You see, God's love for you is not contingent upon what you bring to the table. That's what's so significant about this. You can't earn God's love. Something we've talked about a lot on Wednesday nights is how you cannot save yourself no matter what you try to do. But God's love was completely perfect for you and on display on the cross. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So his love was perfected on the cross, but it has an ongoing effect of changing you and I and molding us more into his image. So John talks here about how we need to abide in his word. We need to abide in him. And as we abide or remain in him, he's going to grow us and change us and mold us more into his image. This is why it starts with Jesus. This is why it starts with Jesus. I've heard so many people say, well, brother, I just need to get back in church and everything's going to be okay. What? I can't do anything for you. You need Jesus. Right? Brother, I just, you know, I need to make some better choices. You probably do. But really, you need Jesus. True life doesn't start with a moral action you do. True life doesn't start with, you know, a New Year's resolution or I'm just going to start doing better. True life starts and ends with Jesus. It means turning your life over. I'm glad you're here this morning, but if you're here because you think it saves you, you're going to be really disappointed. Some action that we do on our end doesn't save us. True light begins and ends with Jesus Christ because his love was perfectly completed on the cross on your behalf. So what can you do? What's some application? Well, I would just ask you, in your life, are you growing in Christ? Are you growing in him? Is he changing you or are you stagnating? One of my friends gives this analogy, and I've shared it with you before. He says the Christian life is kind of like biking uphill. When you bike uphill, as long as you're pedaling, you're doing fine. But what happens when you stop pedaling? 
you start rolling right back down the hill. And when we stagnate in our faith, when we stop getting in the word, when we stop engaging in Christian community and we allow habitual sin in our life that we don't repent of, that we don't confess before the Father, guess what we start doing? Drifting back down the hill. You see, you and I will never drift towards holiness. We'll never drift towards obedience. We always will drift away from the Father because of our sin, because of our sin nature. So are you growing in Him? Are you repenting of your sin? Are you in His Word? Are you praying? But then maybe the better question is, have you turned your life over to Christ? Have you turned your life over to Him as the true light, the true life? Or are you still trying to fix yourself and make everything better on your own? You can't do it, friend. The brokenness in you can only be restored by the gospel, not by something you think you bring to the table. So true light starts with Jesus. But secondly, light is seen in how we love. Light is seen in how we love. Look here at verses 9 through 10. John says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. What do we see here? Hate and the love of Jesus don't mix. They're like oil and water. They will not mix together. John makes it clear that if you have hatred, especially for those that are in the flock with you, you don't really know or understand the love of Jesus. In other words, how you love reveals if you know truly the love of God. So what's the test? What's the test? We'll flip over to 1 Corinthians 13. How do we know if we're loving? It's a very theoretical question, right? Gets very practical right here. What is love? Love is patient, verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Are you loving like that? Are you loving your fellow church members like that? Are you patient and kind? Are you humble, walking in humility, seeking to love your brothers and sisters in this way? Are you arrogant, thinking, well, I, I got this all figured out. I'm just going to, my way or the highway. Are you insisting on your own way? Are you being irritable? resentful are you pushing us towards holiness or rejoicing when someone messes up so it makes you look better where are you at how are you loving if not i think john is making the argument here that we might not understand the love of god as much as we think we do if we don't love one another in this way and love's really important look here how john or paul starts here in first corinthians 13 if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to move the mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Those are pretty significant, aren't they? I mean, faith to move mountains, to look at a mountain and say, hey, you go over there, and it does. 
but doesn't have love, then I'm nothing. Love's a big deal. Love is a huge deal. You know, it's so, it's so easy for us to get in our minds that, you know, we know everything, that I'm the bee's knees, and I've got it all together, but at the end of the day, if we don't have love, then we are nothing. Many Christians are going to walk out of churches today boasting in their minds and out of their mouths of their knowledge of Scripture and their faithfulness in church attendance while simultaneously spreading dissension in their churches and creating power groups or cliques of people who have the same opinion of them to get their own way, idolizing their preferences and insisting on their own way. And according to Paul and John, your relationship with God my relationship with God and where you stand with Him is not based on what we know mentally, but how we live lovingly. Meaning, if we don't love like Jesus loved, then we are not as mature as we think. And in fact, as John says, we might not even be believers. So for example, if you walk out of here today proud of your Bible knowledge, but are not helping lovingly others grow in their faith, then you're not loving like Jesus. If you're proud of how often you serve but gossip while you do so, then you're not loving like Jesus. If you're proud of your church attendance but never pray for or check up on the people that are next to you, then you're not loving like Jesus. If you're proud of how put together you project your family to be and how much you have parenting and everything else figured out, but when you go home you're not loving like the Lord has commanded us and designed us to, you're not loving like Jesus. And according to John... If we're not loving like Jesus loved, then we might not even know him. You can know every verse in the Bible. You can have it all figured out, the whole thing memorized. Be able to wax eloquently about theological topics, read books, listen to sermons, know everything up here, and still go to hell. You can miss heaven by 18 inches. Where is your heart? That is what God is concerned with. Yes, you should know. If you know me, you know I love theology. You know I love to read. But God doesn't care as much about what's up here. He cares what's here. And if here is not right, you'll spend eternity in hell. Because this is what matters. And I'm so afraid that many of us are going to walk out of here thinking we're good because we know John 3.16. When what God called us to is repentance and a life of obedience to him. And we're going to get to heaven spouting off a Bible verse is not going to cut it. Because that's based on what you brought to the table and not based on the love of Christ that was perfected on the cross. So where is your hope at? Where is it? Is it in here? Or is it in your heart? Where your heart's been transformed, your heart's been restored, and now when this is restored, it flows from your heart, to your mind, to your mouth, to your hands, to how you love other people. It's sad that Christians are more known by how they judge and cut each other down than how they love other people. What did, Je- what did Jesus say? Flip over to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, verse 37. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament, everything we see in the New Testament, all of it hangs on these things. Love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
But then as if we needed more evidence, flip over to John chapter 13. John 13, verse 35, says this. By this, all people... And when you see all in the Bible, what do you think it means? All. All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But unfortunately, more churches are known by their hatred and hypocrisy than they are by their love for each other. Have you experienced that? I've seen it, right? We've all seen it because churches are full of sinful people because we're all sinners. That's not how it's designed to be. We're designed to be a light in a world that thinks they know love and really have no understanding of love to show them what true love really is. That's what John says when he says, hey, this is not a new commandment here. This is the same thing from the beginning. You were created for love for God and love for other people. But then flip back to 1 John. I know we're kind of all over the place this morning, but there's just it all connects, okay? It's all one story. 1 John. Chapter 2, starting in verse 12. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. People are hard to love sometimes, aren't they? When it's hard to love someone, guess what we need to do? Remember how Jesus loved us. Look at the language John uses here. Your sins have been forgiven. You can know God. You've overcome the evil one. You're strong. The word is in you. Not because of what you brought to the table, right? Not because you're somehow a good person and you figured all this out. But because Christ accomplished those things for you. But because Christ loved you and gave himself in your place. We don't love because we're great people. We love because he first loved us. So when you struggle to love that person. When you struggle to show love to your brother or sister or or your neighbor or whoever it is, how did Christ love you? Did he wait for you to get your act together? He didn't wait for me. But he demonstrated his love and that while I was still rebelling, distrusting his goodness, going my own way, he died for me. He died for you. Think back to my opening story that I shared, this kind of silly analogy about how all men are blind And I know all of us have been there. And I think, ladies, that happens to you, too. You just won't admit it. Um, But I just can't, I can't ever find anything. I'm blind as a bat when it comes to stuff like that. Bree, you know, sends me to the fridge for ketchup or barbecue sauce or whatever. And, you know, there's eggs, milk, soda, dressing, all of this stuff all over the fridge. And I just cannot see where it is. I cannot find the ketchup, no matter how hard I try. But then Bria through her eagle eye vision, or whatever superpower she has, can find it immediately, without hesitation. When we talk about loving one another, we talk about living out the light Jesus has given us, it can seem like an insurmountable task. Sure, you're not being distracted by silly things like barbecue sauce, eggs, bread, or whatever else might be distracting you. You're distracted by real life things. 
people who are not loving you like you should be loved, people who have hurt you, the busyness and demands of this life that are just natural for every single person. You've got enough on your plate already. You don't need to love God's people as he's called you to. That's what we tell ourselves. But it's in those moments we need to open our eyes and realize God has given us the vision to see what we're called to do, and that's to love one another. Not be blind and miss completely what's right in front of us and the opportunity to care for one another as he's given us to do. You can't love like you're called to. It's impossible. You're blind, you're dead, you're lost. But when true light and true life starts with Jesus, he makes all of it possible. Not by your power, but by his power and his spirit in you. So what can you do today? What might be some next steps for you to walk away from this sermon with? Well, number one, if you don't have life in Christ, that's the first step. You need to be saved today. You need to turn your life over to him. I quote this verse every week, but it's because it's so clear. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then later in Romans 10, Paul writes that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Confessing him as Lord is not just a verbal, yes, Jesus, you're Lord. It's a repenting of your sin and turning over your whole life to him. Until that's done, you'll never be able to live as God designed you to live. Your relationships will never be as God designed them to be. Your life will never be as God designed it to be because you are lost and blind in your sin. You need to be saved and experience the true life that God has given us. But then if you're already a believer, I would just ask you, look at your life with a microscope. Is there hatred in your heart? Is there division or dissension in your heart today? Take it up with the Lord. Take it up with God. Come before him and say, Father, I've sinned against you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Is there hatred in your heart today? But then also, are you practically looking for ways to love other people, to show kindness and care for other people? If you're not, listen, this is such an such a easy, practical step right here. Just find some way to show love to somebody this week. Call someone you haven't talked to in a while. Check up on a church member that hasn't been here in a while. Sit with someone different at the potluck today. Show love to people in tangible, practical ways. One thing I love about this church, and this is totally brand spanking new to me when I came here, okay? Y'all say I love you to each other a lot. It's just, it's different here. I've never experienced it. And it's really, really cool. And it's great that we say that, but are we showing it in our actions? Talk's cheap, right? It's easy to say I love you. Are we showing it to one another? And I think in a lot of ways we are, but all of us need to take a step back and look at ourselves and say, am I showing love like Jesus showed me love? And if we're not, we've got some work to do. God's blessed us with incredible love as a church. Love not based on our work or on our preferences, but based on his perfected love, which culminated in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So it would be a shame if we don't live that out amongst ourselves. Let's pray together and then we'll worship. Father,